Okay, before we read, I just want to ask this question. Are you listening? Are you listening? How are you listening? And what kind of listener are you? Not uh, with respect to my words right now necessarily, or strictly rather, but with respect to Jesus's words. That's the issue on the table tonight, and that is the question that Jesus wants to ask us. Right now, together, we get to hear Jesus speaking to us, and we need to take his words on board. Let's read our Bible passage. I'll read it out loud and you guys can just follow along in your heads. Chapter 8, verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. But there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So we're focusing on uh, Jesus' parable. Uh, tonight, time remaining, uh, but we will look down there at verses 16 to 21 as well, because Jesus continues to speak uh, in those verses, despite the fact that 
our Bibles have breaks and headings uh, inserted there. So, first thing I want to uh, bring to our attention is that, did you notice uh, in this parable that Jesus tells, uh, that he tells it like it's a matter of fact? Did you notice that? He simply narrates a story. A sower went out to sow, and this is what happened to the seeds. Even in his explanation, he just clarifies what the different components of the story represent, right? The seed is the word of God, first soil is people like this, etc. It's a matter of fact. He's just describing, here's what happened. The question is, why is he telling this parable? Why? And verse 4 is a clue. Look what it says. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. Jesus has a large crowd in front of him. Now the thing about Jesus is that Jesus knows what people are like. And Jesus knows what is happening to his teaching. And so Jesus tells this parable as a commentary on the very reality that is happening before his eyes. Jesus is the sower. And he's sowing the word of God to this crowd. And among the crowd are a range of different hearts. But Jesus doesn't just tell the parable in order to make the crowd think, oh, that's nice. That's a nice story. He tells the parable in order to generate some self-examination. He wants the crowd, and he wants us also, to examine ourselves. The parable of the soils is an invitation to self-examination. That's what it's doing. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what he's doing with us to know it. Don't be alarmed by this. This is not legalistic. It's not a legalistic thing to do. This is a good thing to do. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And the question Jesus is asking is this. What kind of listener are you? Does the word go in and stay in? Is the word of God at work in your heart? And the four soils parable is a way of asking this question so that it searches our hearts. And we'll spend the rest of our time now looking at these four soils and then draw our thoughts together at the end. But before we look at the soils, we need to get something fresh in our minds. And that is the word of God. Jesus says that the seed in the parable is the word of God, right? What is the word of God? God's word is God's message. The Bible itself is the word of God, And it is the message of what God has done through Jesus to save us. And so now we'll just go through a few key elements of what the Bible says in order to remind ourselves of God's message. I think the easiest way to do it now is I'll just do it under a number of heads. Right, God's word is about creation. So God tells us that he made the whole world and everything in it. God owns the world. God has the right as owner to rule and govern his world as he pleases. God also made people, us, to live in his world, and he made us with a purpose. 
to love him, to obey him, and to love other people he made. God made us to reflect his own perfect goodness, creation. God made us for a purpose. Sin. But the Bible teaches us that we haven't and we don't love and obey God or love other people like we should. We don't represent God well. Rather, God says we are curved in on ourselves. We make ourselves the centre instead of God. We disobey God and write our own rules. And we make mini-gods out of things the true God has made. Often they're, they're good things and we turn them into God things. We're selfish, we follow our lusts, we trample on others, we covet things, we're irrational, we're liars, we're thieves, we're dishonest, we have fits of rage, we love ourselves, we're mean to each other, we're really arrogant, sometimes so arrogant it's painful, we congratulate ourselves and convince ourselves that we're doing the right thing, that we're not so bad, that others are the problem, while inwardly we hide all kinds of the same sins in different forms. Now we're woefully hypocritical. The Bible says that we're sinners. And God says this creates hostility, that this sin makes us God's enemies. Sin puts us in danger with God. He's a righteous judge and unrighteous things get condemned by him. He's a warrior king and enemies get destroyed by him. It's a really dangerous thing to be a rebellious, idolatrous sinner in God's world. Hostility. The Bible says that we're also enable, inability. You see, the thing is, there's nothing we can do ourselves about it. Guilty people who stand in an honest courtroom don't do a few good deeds to clear the guilty verdict. And when you owe God your whole life and everything you have 100% of the time, you never have any surplus to pay him back for your wrong. Every breath already belongs to him. On our own, the Bible says, more colloquially, we're absolutely stuffed. We can't save ourselves. We've wronged God and there's nothing you can do about it. You are completely at his mercy. Inability. But the Bible says, but God. But God. The good news and the word of God, the message of God, is that because God is gracious and compassionate, he sent his own son to rescue us. Jesus is the son of God and came and lived the life of love and obedience that we should have lived. Jesus willingly went to the cross and died the death that we ought to die. Jesus came as a substitute and stood in our place. And Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death. Jesus became the beginning of a new creation that has nothing wrong with it and will be perfect forever. And Jesus now rules from heaven, inviting people to trust in him and receive his death in their place for their sins. And one day, Jesus will return to this world as its king to take it for himself. He'll destroy all his enemies who didn't want to bow the knee to him. 
and he will save his people who have trusted in him and love him. These people who trust in Jesus to have their sins forgiven and washed away get to be friends with God and live in his new world, hanging out with Jesus forever. That's the good news. That's God's message. But there's more than that. There's a response. There's a response from us. And so God's word goes on. God tells us not just what he's done and how he is inviting us, but he tells us how we should respond and live now. God says we must repent of living for ourselves and our own way. And so we need to empty our hands by getting rid of these things. Then God says we can receive the free gift of Jesus who provides forgiveness for our sins with these empty hands of faith. We don't add anything to Jesus. Jesus is completely full. He's everything we need and he's free and we get him by faith alone. We believe and trust in him. That's the response that God calls us to. Then God calls us to follow Jesus. This means living God's way and doing his will. It means persevering through trials and giving up on our own pleasures for others. It means being generous with our money and serving people with our time. It means living lives of holiness and living by God's sexual ethics. It means waiting for Jesus to return and not taking vengeance and taking justice into our own hands. And these are all really good things for us to do, aren't they? These are God's ways. And God has given us instruction on how to respond, to walk in his good ways and live for him. This is the word of God. This is Jesus' teaching, and this is the word that's going out over the crowd. Right? That's the word. And this word is received in different ways. Let's think about these four soils together. Soil one. (coughs) The first soil is the soil on the path. Jesus says that there are some people who hear his message, but their hearts are like a hard path. And what happens to a seed if it lands on a footpath? It doesn't go in, does it? Think about the imagery. Seed on a path, it just sits there on the surface. The path is too hard for the seed to enter in. Some hearts are so hard to the message of Jesus that they are like concrete paths that cannot be penetrated. There is such resistance to the message that it just doesn't even get into the heart. Perhaps it is certain aspects of the message that are repulsive to the hearer. Perhaps it's the verdict of God on our sinful state. We're not that bad, we say, and the word doesn't get in. Perhaps it's God's promise of future judgment. He has no right, we say. He's not like that, we say. Perhaps it's God's claim over our lives to be our master. We want freedom to call our shots, create our own ethic, express our sexuality in ways we choose, to live as we please. Perhaps it's the freeness of the gift of Jesus. We love to earn our way and can't handle the freeness of forgiveness. Perhaps this is because we love to say we've contributed. 
If God has done it all, we belong to him. We have no credit. The heart is hard. It resists the message. And the word doesn't even go in. And to these hearts, the devil comes along and just eats up the word. And it's gone. And the ground remains fruitless. Jesus says to this heart, repent of pride. Repent of self-reliance and self-expression. And trust in God's goodness as king and receive his grace and allow him to save you. That's the first story. The stony, hard story. What about the second story? I'm calling it the mixed story. You see, because in the second place that the message of Jesus lands, this word of the gospel lands, is in soil that is a mixture of soil and rock. The difference here is that this soil has space for the word to get in. And Jesus says that the word actually gets in well and gets a good start, but it doesn't have much room. And the problem with this soil is that without sufficient space, there are not sufficient roots, right? Look what it says. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Why do you need roots? You need roots to get water when the sun is scorching and there is no rain. Right? What kind of person is this? Because Jesus said earlier that that, that plant dies from lack of water. What kind of person is this? This is the kind of person without character. And a lack of character results in lack of roots into Jesus. And without roots, there is no water when the heat comes. It's not that this person gets lucky with the sun or that the sun is, sorry, gets unlucky with the sun, like trial came into their lives or the trial was too hard. That's not what's happening. It's not that they experienced trial and no others did. Every Christian who's living out their faith will have to face trials at some point. Paul told the disciples that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peter said, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. The problem is that when this trial comes, this person has no root in Jesus. And when the sun is shining and there is no rain, You need roots that go down into Jesus to get water. This is why Paul says to the Colossians that he wants them to be rooted and established in Christ. Because Jesus is the living water you need to keep the plant alive in times of drought. But you know what the thing about having roots is? Growing roots takes time. And it takes character. And it takes effort. But when you're lazy and casual and fickle and treat life lightly, you don't grow roots. You don't get up and study your Bible. You don't get up and take yourself to church. You don't grow in prayer and patience. And so this is a call to those in the crowd who are just treating life and the message of Jesus too lightly. Jesus is challenging an immature approach to life. 
He calls this person to repent of immaturity and laziness and to believe what God says about the seriousness of sin and the gravity of living for him and to repent of fear and trust that God will take care of you. That's the second soil. It's a little bit of little bit of soil, but no room for roots. The third soil, it's got thorns in it. What it says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. The third soil doesn't have rocks in it, right? It's a fairly good soil. This is the heart that comprehends the gospel and the seed perhaps grows good roots. Might be fairly committed to the church, have grown a fair amount in Jesus, maybe even known about suffering with Christ. But there's a catch, isn't there? Something else is growing in this soil as well. Good soil that's got two things growing in it. And the other thing is thorns. It's a two-plant soil. This is a soil that is attempting to hold on to two realities. It's a heart that is trying to hold on to the truth of the gospel and follow Jesus and is also trying to hold on to this present world at the same time. There is an important message from Jesus here and it is a consistent message throughout the scriptures to us. And here is what it is. The world will win every time. Get that straight. Unless you completely sever yourself from the world, the world will win. Jesus puts it this way in a different part of the gospel. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Note, it's not hard. You cannot serve both God and money. James puts the same idea this way. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. John puts it this way, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And Jesus will go on later in the gospel, in this same gospel, to say, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is a consistent message in Scripture. You cannot have a foot in the world and a foot in with God. It doesn't work. Now be careful how you hear at this point. Some of you will be thinking, surely I'm okay. Surely it's not too bad. Note Jesus' words. Jesus is teaching in this parable that this is not okay. This is not a good soil. This is not an okay soil, right? The soils are not on grades where if you're soil number three, you're okay because at least you're not soil number one or two, right? No, the point is that soils one, two, and three are all not listening correctly. They haven't taken the message on board fully. 
the word is not correctly working in their hearts, the thorns choke it out. And so what are these thorns? Or additional plants? Jesus lists them. He says, life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Now I must say, I am fearful for this soil. And I'm fearful for our hearts. I'll tell you now, I'm not here to ease the squirm for you. That's not my job. You might feel a prick in your conscience and you're waiting for me to ease the tension. I'm not going to do it. And that's not Jesus' intention, either. You are the only one who can ease the tension by repentance and faith. So what are these things and how do we know if we are this soil? These words, life's worries, riches and pleasures, are piled up like this to impress something on our hearts. They're here to ask us the question, are your hopes set on this present age? Are you trying to have your Jesus cake and eat it too? Where is your treasure? It might look like this. You live in the right town, village, city, in the right house, apartment, cottage, or should I say, you strive to live in the right town, village, with the right backyard, with the right interior designs, with the right photos, with the right kitchen, with the right stuff in the kitchen, with the right car, with access to the right services, entertainment, people, wearing the right clothes, eating the right food, living in the hot body, having the right friends, achieving the fulfilling tasks, making your mark in the world, visiting the right destinations, marrying the right person, having the right kids and the right number of kids, raising the right kids, sending them to the right schools, retiring in the right place, securing the right finances, ticking off the correct experiences, taking the right photos, achieving the right number of followers, gaining the right knowledge, life's worries, riches, pleasures. They grow up in the same soil and choke the world. If this is your heart, Jesus stands before you and says, pull out the weeds, count the cost and cut the ties. Say goodbye to the world and set your course for heaven. Trust in his word instead. From Psalm 16. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now this is something you will know before God, not me. It's a heart issue. It's about posture and hope and striving. Where is your heart, Jesus says. And soil four. The final soil. Jesus says, but the seed, verse 15, on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This soil is different. And what makes it different? Well, Jesus says, it's a noble and good heart. 
It's also a heart that hears the word and retains the word, that holds on to the word. And it's a heart that perseveres in producing a crop. Now, as we come to close, or look at our final section here together, we're going to try to gather up those next two little subheadings in, in your Bibles, verse 16 to 18 and verse 19 to 21. Because I think what Jesus does there is Jesus gives a couple of illustrations, I think, to help us understand what the good soil is like, what right listening actually looks like, and what the right response is from us now, having heard this parable, listening to this word. Notice in verse 16 that Jesus turns at this point and starts to talk about lamps and light. <clears throat> Why does he talk about these things, about hidden things and exposed things? You see that? I think the reason uh, he does this uh, and the reason it matters is because they're connected to what's come before and you can see from verse 18 that Jesus is still talking about listening. He says there, therefore, verse 18, consider carefully how you listen. You notice that? He hadn't stopped talking. That black, dark black section in your Bible, we've added that. But he didn't stop. He carried on talking. So let's read this little section and get it fresh again in our minds. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp. He's now talking about the good heart, still, the fourth soil, or he's at least done a slight transition, and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. So Jesus shifts the metaphor. He's talking about seed. Now he's switched and he's talking about light. And what's light meant to do? Light's meant to light things up. You light a light to light things up so that they can be exposed, so that you can see. And Jesus is saying that that is what the Word is meant to be doing now. It's meant to be doing a work in your heart now. I've said these words to be a light right now for you to illuminate your heart. And that's what's happening tonight in our presence, that these words are meant to be like a light so that we can be honest with our hearts. Because Jesus is saying, we have the opportunity, we have the option, be honest now or be exposed then. My words are going to do their work. I've spoken these words. These words are like a light. I haven't just come to say words in vain. I've come to say words for a purpose. An honest heart will be honest right now with me and repentance and faith is the way forward if the light is shining on your heart. That's why you can draw that conclusion. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Because the way that it will work is that true listeners will have the word, the seed in their hearts and that is those who have and it will keep growing 
and bearing fruit in their lives. And those who don't have understanding, who don't have light, who aren't honest, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. That's one aspect of true listening. Honesty. Be honest and humble now. Receive the word and hold on to it. I think a second aspect of good listening is that then Luke wants to show us that what he means by persevering is that it's active listening. So honest and active listening, verses 19 to 21. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Did you notice that in verse 21? How hearing is still the issue. The idea of hearing is tying all of these words of Jesus together. And here, Luke is adding Jesus' teaching that true hearing doesn't just retain the word, but perseveres in the word. It lets the word expose our hearts and then acts on that hearing. That's true hearing. And so Jesus can say, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That can be a little bit of a challenge for us, I think, when we prefer, perhaps in this stream, to wit or, or perhaps wish that Jesus said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and hear God's word and hear God's word and hear God's word. And we'd rather just kind of rub out and put it into practice. But actually, that's what the true believer does. Because the word goes in, the true believer grabs hold of it by faith, and the word is at work in the person's life activating and animating their lives. And so they put it into practice. That's true hearing. And this is what Jesus wants to say to us tonight. And there's one final enigmatic thing that you might be thinking, what about that other bit that he didn't mention? And that is this idea that Jesus says at the beginning. <clears throat> Jesus, the disciples ask him in verse 9, uh, sorry, ah uh, yes, what the parable means. And verse 10, he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Jesus' parables have a, a multi, multi-function. They're intended not just to reveal, but they're also intended to conceal. They're intended to bring salvation to those with ears to hear, but also to fulfil judgment on those who resist Jesus' word. And so the parables are doing that function. But I think the reason why Jesus starts his answer that way, and that's the danger, and that because it is because there's a danger for us. And it's the first danger that he addresses. It's that those who hear, who can hear and can understand, would think that they did it because of their own cleverness. But Jesus says in verse 10, that to know the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you. It's been given to you. And so he can say in verse 18, whoever has will be given more. 
And so our final response or final aspect of true hearing or right hearing, good listening, is that it's humble listening, humble hearing. It's hearing that recognises that we've, it, it has been given to us to know the secrets of the kingdom, that Jesus has invited us in, opened the eyes of our hearts so that we can see and can know the truth of the gospel. Well, that's what Jesus says to us tonight. And what do we do now? I think that Jesus has said some challenging words, and I think that's his intention. He has a crowd before him, and his purpose is to say these words to encourage self-examination. How are we listening? What are we doing with God's word? The correct response for us will be different for each of us. For some of us, it will involve repentance and action. For all of us, it will involve faith. For some of us, we will need to confess our sins to Jesus. And for all of us, we will need to continue in faith, holding on to God's promise of forgiveness and eternal life in the resurrection. The aim for us is to examine ourselves and consider what kind of listeners we are. I'll close by reminding us of the truth that came from Jesus' own lips. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son to die for our sins to save us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us and speaking honestly with us tonight. We pray that you would help us to be humble, to be honest with you, and to hear this word, listen rightly, and respond appropriately to it. In Jesus' name.